Hi, Dad. Hey, Ross. How you doing? Excellent. How are you? I'm doing great. Are you ready to know everything? Yes, I am. Okay, let's do it. Today, I have a theory about movies. What is it? Well, my theory is that when it comes to movies, it's better to not know how they were made. Hmm. What do you mean? Well, one time when I was about seven years old, I bought this book on this movie I liked, which told me about all the behind-the-scenes things, how they like switched it around, and how they did the sets and stuff. Was this the Wimpy Kid one? Yeah. Then when I watched the movie, I was miserable because I couldn't stop myself from wondering. Like, I wonder how did they do that? Did they use the triple set? Or oh, I know that guy in the church hat's really the director. By knowing how it was really made, it made it all seem fake. Yeah, if you know that some part of it's are fake, then it's just really hard to believe it's real. And you keep thinking, huh? I wonder how they did that. Did they switch it? That why they only have the camera on one person to distract us for the next person that's climbing up the fake ladder, and it just makes you think it's fake, which it is. But one of the whole points of movies is to make you think it's real, to make you feel like it's real. So for me, I feel like it's better to just watch, not knowing. I remember that you and me and Grandma and Grandpa and Aunt Lucia went to visit New York once. And we went on a tour of NBC, the TV network, and they showed us where they shoot a show called Saturday Night Live, and they showed us where they do all the evening newscasts. And what was crazy to me was how teeny all the spaces were. The place where they shoot the NBC News, the main desk where the world learns what's happening in the world, is smaller than your bedroom, isn't it? Yeah. You remember sitting in the desk? Yeah. And all around it are these cameras in this teeny space that's hardly bigger than a phone booth. Yes, it's crazy. Saturday Night Live, same thing. It's not any bigger than the stage at a middle school. It's got to fit in a little room in a big office building in the middle of a tightly packed city. Yeah, I could only do two cartwheels across it. I remember that very well. So, how does that make you think about the news? Is it inspiring in a way? Even though it makes movies feel fake, does it make you realize, gosh, even if I have a teeny space no bigger than my bedroom, I can make something that looks as big as Saturday Night Live or the NBC Nightly News? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. One, it's like, what? How is this possible? You can only do two cartwheels off the stage. Another, it's like, wow, I could shoot this from my room. So I think it's a little bit of both. Excellent. So I guess the lesson I'm taking is, if it's a story. Like in a movie, better not to know. If it's a show that's real, like the news, maybe it's okay to go behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly. Are you ready for today's poem? I sure am. Okay, it's called "Elk Thirst" by Heather Cahoon. Elk thirst, yellow fields thirst. Dryness lifts the blue and greens from trees that grow in uneven rows along the flathead's angry pace. Shallow water follows the route it has for centuries, wrapping along cliffs, 
rocks that climb into the sky, sharp edges, softened by water that forever slides across these walls as it flows to urgent falls. Here it plummets and dives deep. Rocks and sticks turn bleak eyes away. Brook trout swim fast and leave streaks. The sun reflects in silver scales by day at night passion. Strong colors of the sky. When elk steps into the blurred water and drinks, his thoughts improbable. He looks and drinks the sky. Amazing images in that poem. You are so there, aren't you? Oh, yes, you are. Down to the blurred water to the elk. Do you want to read it? I'd love to. Elk Thirst by Heather Cahoon. Yellow fields thirst. Dryness lifts the blues and greens from trees that grow in uneven rows along the flathead's angry pace. Shallow water follows the route it has for centuries, wrapping around cliffs, rocks that climb into the sky, sharp edges softened by water that forever slides across these walls as it flows to urgent falls. Here it plummets and dives deep. Rocks and sticks turn bleak eyes away. Brook trout swim fast and leave streaks. The sun reflects in silver scales by day. At night, passion. Strong colors eat the sky. One elk steps into blurred water and drinks. His thoughts improbable. He looks and drinks the sky. Isn't that such an amazing poem? Strong colors eat the sky. Let's start there. How do you see a sunset when you hear that? Well, I see it as bold, as beautiful, as daring, as covering the sky. And what does it mean earlier on when it says yellow fields thirst and dryness lifts the blue and greens from trees? Well, I think that maybe it doesn't rain for a while. Yeah. Plants are thirsty. The plants are thirsty and the animals are thirsty too. Meanwhile, there is this river that's been going by for centuries, right? The flathead. Yeah. The shallow water. And the elk steps into that and drinks. And then it says, he looks and drinks the sky. What do you think that means? I think that means, to me, kind of means like drinking in the sky, seeing all the colors and being so happy. He's found water. The sky is beautiful, and he drinks it in. Mm. And I think of something else, too. Think about water. What does it do? It reflects. So probably reflected in the water, if it's going slow enough, if it's shallow enough, are the colors of the sky. So he's drinking the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Does this poem make you feel thirsty, or does it make you feel quenched? Thirsty. I'm going to get some water, drink it, and maybe drink the sky, too. Last segment of the show. Do you have a vexing question for me? I do have a vexing question for you. 
a hundred years ago, women got the right to vote in this country. The first election women could vote was in 1920 and it's 2020 today. And I've heard though, that women now vote in greater numbers than men, at least in the presidential elections. So what I want to know is, is that true? And if so, when did women voters start being greater than male voters? Okay, I'll look it up and get back to you. Hey, I'm back and I've got the answer to your question. Excellent. In 2016, 63.3% of voting age women voted. And 59.3% of voting age men voted. So that means that more women did indeed vote in the presidential election. Way more, because there's more women than men. Let me look at your chart for a second. Oh, wow. It's almost 10 million more women voting than men. Wow. Isn't that crazy? However, it wasn't always like that. If you look back a few decades ago, like to 1964, 67% of voting age women voted and 71.9% of voting age men voted. So men used to be more likely. What was the year that that first switch? What was the first, say, presidential election where a higher percentage of women voted than men? It was in 1980. Okay, 1980. So close to right when I was born, that's when women started taking over at the polls. Yep, women outvoted men then, and I've been the majority of voters ever since. You Must Know Everything was produced by me, Rossa Smith, and him, Jeremy Smith. And the amazing music was by Furniture. Learn more and submit your own vexing questions at our website, youmustknoweverything.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Android, Spotify, or however you like to listen. And hear dozens of previous episodes for free. Please rate, review, and share the show. And please tune in next time for everything you need to know.